أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين السلام عليكم brothers and sisters I hope everyone is doing well um, we'll continue inshallah with another episode of the podcast on the tafsir of Dua Kumail a quick recap of what we discussed in the previous episode we discussed uh, three or four lines of the du'a starting from this phrase of the du'a We said that Imam Ali in this du'a he is referring to the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always remain even after everything perishes, even ever after everything is no longer existing and his existence it shows itself to us, it manifests itself through the different attributes that he has. And in the, in the next line, we went into more depth in this regard. The next line was this, Oh Allah, we ask you by your names that have filled the foundations of everything. So we went into more depth about this and really the conclusion that we came to was that if we were to take the different creatures that we find around us, the different beings that we find around us, and we were to take a look at their existence, we would find that at the end of the day, they are really mirrors and manifestations of one or a number of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each one of them is representing a certain attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though you know that when we look at these, like, you know, the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have that are mentioned in different parts of, of the Quran, um, these 99 names, sometimes they are very, they are very close to one another. The, it, sometimes you will find that brothers and sisters, will, it'll be difficult for them to differentiate between some names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's some, there are some differences and some details there. But nonetheless, every creature around us is really mirroring and manifesting a certain attribute or a certain number of attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what we mentioned is mentioned also in Surah Al-Hijr that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the sources of everything are with us and whatever we want, we give to people or to other beings a little bit of it. Right? This was verse 21 from Surah Al-Hijr. So we said the result of looking at the world in this way is that you will see everything as a reflection of God now. Even if you see a good-looking guy, if you see a wealthy person, right? That person is a manifestation of the word Ghani or the name Ghani of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you see someone who's powerful, even if that person is not a godly person, even if they don't live a God-centric life, but still at the same time, whether they know it or they don't know it, they are really manifesting one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you look at everything in that way, then things really change and you see things in a very different, uh, in a different manner. Then we moved on to this line, and we explained the two types of knowledge that we find um, in the world and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge towards us is like the knowledge of uh, someone, a painter, when it comes to his own painting and how he knows all the small colors and creases and all the different details uh, when it comes to his own painting. All right, so um, we reach this line, and this is where we can, uh, inshallah, uh, continue with the discussion. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the light of his wajah, 
right? That light that is illuminating everything else. Okay, now um, there's discussion amongst the scholars. What is this light referring to exactly? And we'll talk about light in just a bit because the next line says Ya Nuru Ya Quddus, which is a line that you'll find sometimes when they're reciting the dua, they will repeat it multiple times. Um, but this light, some say that this is referring to the idea that God gives existence to himself or he's uh, self-dependent in other words and everything else and he also gives existence to everything else in the world. And they kind of say that that's what like is, uh, light is like, right? They say light is something that is uh, illuminated itself and it also illuminates the things around it as well. Nonetheless, this is just one of the tafasir that's mentioned for this line. Um, moving on, Ya Nuru Ya Quddus is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as light. Why is that? Again, there could be different tafsir for it, one I already mentioned. Another tafsir for this could be, another way of looking at it really, could be that because light is really seen as a source of purity, right? It's seen as a pinnacle of purity. There's no darkness in light itself, right? So some have said that's the reason why uh, this uh, Allah, so we refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense of nur and light is a sense of purity. Nonetheless, moving on from this, Ya Nuru Ya Quddus, Ya Awwal Al Awwalin, the one who's come before all of those who are first. Right? Like we look at people in history and we look at people um, who've come before us and usually we, we refer to different people at different times and say, this person was the first, right? And he was the first. But then this phrase of the dua is saying, listen, there was someone way before him. <laughs> right? Like in dua, Joshan Kabir, we read uh, sometimes, we say, Ya nuran qabla kulli nur. You're the light that came before all the other lights. Right? So this is what this is saying. Ya awwal al awwalin. The one who came first of all of those who came first. Wa ya akhir al akhirin. And the one who will remain and, and, and will continue to exist when everything else has ceased to exist at that point. Now, from this point of the du'a onwards, we are now going to enter into a section of the du'a that uh, we find um, the Imam continues to repeat the same phrase, right? Oh Allah, ask, uh, I ask forgiveness for those sins of mine that are like this, right? And every time he mentions a certain attribute for those sins, Right? And this has been repeated uh, multiple times as we're going through these next four or five lines. So, the first line says this, Allahumma, oh Allah, forgive for me, اغفر لي, الذنوب التي تحتكم العسام. Forgive for me those sins that tear apart the safeguards. Now, I need to explain this a little bit just so that we have a better uh, understanding of what the phrase is actually trying to say. So, um, first, let me explain the word dhunub. Dhunub is uh, the plural of the word of the word themb, and the word themb um, usually in our culture uh, usually would refer to a sin, right? We we refer to sins as themb. However, from a literal perspective, um, the word themb actually refers to an action that has a consequence. And that's why it's used for sins is because when you commit a sin, and we'll talk about this more later as well, when we commit sins, there is a consequence to that sin, right? And that's why they would call sins a themb because a sin is an action that comes along with a consequence. Nonetheless, 
Um, this line is saying, Ya Allah, forgive those sins of mine that tahtikul asam, they tear apart the things that are guarding me. They tear apart those, the means of my protection. So, um, again, scholars have different opinions in with regards to the interpretation of this line. One of those interpretations could be the following, that there are sins that then ter uh, basically tear apart uh, your means of protection when it comes to other sins. So in other words, some sins you just do them and that's it. Some sins when you do them, they then open the door for you to end up doing a whole bunch of other sins, right? Just like when we speak of drugs, you know, they say hey, if this you start with this drug, right? Smoking, it's a gateway into these drugs, for example, right? Not only does it harm you, right? Not only does it make you more vulnerable to, um, you know, lung cancer, for example, or whatever the case may be, but then it opens the door to maybe some other uh, uh, drugs, right? And that's just an example. <laughs> My information isn't that accurate when it comes to these types of topics, but you guys get the idea. So, Basically, one of the interpretations here is that, Oh Allah, forgive those sins of mine that are the type that when I commit them, it's not just that I committed this sin. I now have made myself vulnerable to a whole bunch of other sins. And in Islam, we do have sins that have been pointed out and mentioned for us, particularly that actually fall under this category. Right. So we have sins that not not to say that these sins don't have any consequences, but we have sins that they're just mentioned that it's not OK to do them. And then we have sins that are mentioned in our ahadith in particular, that they bring along with them other consequences. And one of the biggest of those is lying. Right. So lying is one of those sins that we have multiple ahadith that it opens up the door to multiple other sins. So we have that famous hadith in which uh, the Ahlul Bayt have said that lying is like the key to everything, every other haram deed that you could have out there, right? It's like the, t the type of sin that opens you up to so many of these other sins. Or in the hadith we have that if you were to take every bad thing in this world and you were to put it into one box, right? And that box had one key, if that box was locked, right? Uh, and and that and and the key to that box would be um, basically lying. So lying is really, according to this hadith, lying is really the key to all these other sins that you would have, right? And it's interesting because in the life of the Prophet, we also find um, hadith that speak about this as well, right? In particular, they say that this one person approached the Prophet one day and asked the Prophet for help, right? He told the Prophet that he was very much uh, accustomed to committing different sins. He was, in some ways, addicted to it. And God forbid, some of us might be as well. And I speak of myself. Um, and he said, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Like I'm accustomed to committing all these sins, and I, I need your help on this. And the Hadith says that the Prophet told him one thing. The Prophet told him to never lie again, right? And so he walked away from the Prophet thinking that like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I can yeah, I can give you my word that I won't lie. But then as he came across those different harams that he had to do throughout the day, 
because he knew that he lived in this Muslim community, because he knew he was going to see the Prophet, because he knew the Prophet was going to ask him of how things are going, and he knew that he would be so embarrassed if he were to tell the truth and that he can't lie on the other hand, at that point, this idea clicked for him that, yeah, if I stop lying and I'm honest, if the Prophet asks me of what I've done, then if I drink, he's going to know. If I commit, you know, whatever other sins I'm doing, he's going to know. And that's when it clicked for him that this is why the Prophet had asked him just not to lie. Because when he didn't lie anymore, he was so vulnerable. If anyone were to ask him of what he had done at that point, he would have to basically spill the beans on himself and uh, he would be embarrassed at that point. So you see that lying is one of those sins that can be a door to some of the other sins that we have out there, right? Drinking, obviously, is another big one that we have uh, in, in our hadith, and we have some other ones as well. So in this first line, Imam Ali is asking, Oh Allah, ask those, uh, forgive for me those sins that make me vulnerable to other sins. Second line, Allahumma ghfir li allati niqam. Oh Allah, forgive for me those sins that make you send down adversities. They make you send down calamities and difficulties. What can this line be referring to? It seems like the line is referring to some sins, you know, you do them. And although we mentioned this before, and then this is what I was talking about, that we would get to it later. Every sin has a consequence. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it has a consequence that affects the human being even in this world, right? Forget When I say consequence, we're not talking about the next world necessarily. No, it has an effect on the human being in this world, right here and like right there and then when you do it, it affects you. But some sins there, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to punish the person, uh, it depends. There are some sins that the punishment seems to, there seems to be a little bit more flexibility on when this punishment is going to come. Whereas with other sins, there seems to be no flexibility at all. Meaning that with some other sins, there seems to be this type of relationship between the sin and the punishment that the moment you do it, the punishment will hit you. It will hit you quickly and it will hit you obviously where you would sit there and you would say, oh my God, you sent a calamity on me because of the sin that I committed. One of them is the sins that one commits when it comes to their parents, for example, right? Um, again, I want to emphasize every sin will have a consequence, but some of them come quickly and some of them come in an obvious manner. One of those that's mentioned is when it comes to uh, parents, right? Another one that's mentioned in these ahadith that has to do in this regard is haram relationships or what we would refer to as adultery at times, right? Another one is breaking a promise that someone has given to someone that that individual is counting on, right? His life is, is based on this. His his income is based on this. His, you know, his well-being is based on this. These are some of those sins that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might punish somebody faster, quicker, um, than, than some of the other sins that we have. So this is the second line. Oh Allah, forgive for me those sins that send down calamities and difficulties. Moving on. Third line. Allahumma allati Oh Allah, forgive for me those sins that will alter your blessings. Okay, so this is different now. Um, what do you mean alter your blessing? And how can a blessing be altered anyways? So 
when you dive a little bit deeper into Islamic literature, you find that there are things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give to someone as a blessing initially. And then when that person becomes a sinner as a consequence, instead of God sending a separate punishment, he will then take this blessing and turn it into a punishment. Okay, so just to, just to clarify that, just so that's clear, right? Like if someone were to do something wrong, um, just uh, God can punish that person or God can take one of his blessings that he's already given to him and make that blessing act in a way and be in a way where it now turns into a punishment. That same thing that was a blessing for this person before. Right? So I'll give you an example. Wealth. There might be a person who's a very good person. God will then uh, bless him with a certain amount of wealth. But then if he switches his path and now he turns into a person who's sinning, now there, it's possible, this may not happen all the time, but it's possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then take that same wealth that he was using as a blessing before. He was having a great time with it. He was taking vacations. He was coming and he was going. But now that same blessing turns into a, uh, you know, it turns into a punishment. So now maybe because of that same blessing, he has a target on his back now, right? Maybe because he's so wealthy, there are uh, people who are trying to steal from his money now, right? And he has to worry all the day, uh, you know, all, all day long about how am I going to protect my money, right? Or... He, he's so wealthy now and he wants to, you know, be able to uh, enjoy his wealth. But now it turns into a problem for him where people are approaching him with so many different things, right? They're asking him for so many different things. So there are many examples where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can take a blessing and turn it into a punishment. Beauty is another good one, right? Like if God gives someone beauty, right, as a blessing and that person misuses it, then that same beauty can turn into a punishment for that person later on, right? Uh, this person wants to get married, right? And because they're a beautiful person, right, man or woman, um, because they're a good-looking person, then the wrong person comes along to marry them, right? And then that beauty that was a blessing before now turns into a punishment. So Imam Ali here is saying very beautifully that, oh Allah, forgive those, those sins of mine that take these blessings of yours and turn them into punishments. And it's a really, it's a really scary thing because when this happens, you don't know. It's it, it's not as obvious, basically, you know. And because it's not as obvious, you may not even realize at times that hey, this is you know this was a blessing I had before. Now it's turned into uh, a punishment. Now being able to detect that and being able to tell if that's happened or hasn't happened. It's a difficult thing, so I, I, I don't in, encourage brothers and sisters to like sit there, especially when it comes to other people's lives, right? And say, oh, look, God had blessed this person with this. Now he was such a horrible person. Now it turned into a punishment for him. That's not encouraged, and half the time you're wrong because half the time me and you don't have any idea what's going on in the life of another person, right? And I've seen that happen quite a bit where uh, at times people will like, like, just judge what's happening in someone else's life, right? And apply some Islamic principle to it. And like, yeah, he had that business, but um, he's not making money anymore because he was an arrogant person, right? He got too arrogant when he was started making money. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> you weren't in his heart. You don't know what was running through his mind necessarily. So 
not saying you can't tell any time, but most of the time we're wrong about this stuff. So it's not encouraged. But for our own lives, we have to be aware that even if sometimes we commit these sins, then that can take a blessing we had and turn it into a punishment. And this is what, it might be what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in the verses of the Quran when he says that we plot against people. Literally, he says we plot against people. In other words, when we want to punish these people, we don't necessarily punish them in an obvious manner. We might punish them in a more uh, hidden manner, so to speak, right? One of those hidden manners is where you see you have everything around you. You got money. You got, uh, you know, a a good spouse uh, or at least like a good looking spouse, right? You have your children. But then some of these blessings have now turned into punishments for you or for for me or for whoever, right? So this is another one of those sins that uh, the imam is asking uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive. Moving on, Oh Allah, forgive those sins of mind that imprison or hold back my supplication. I ask God for something. God has told us in the verses of the Quran that He is close to us, right? Tell them that I'm close. When they call me, I'm hearing them and I, I will respond to them. But then some of these sins will hold back this dua. Right? It seems as though the du'a is saying that when you make this prayer, you ask for something, it doesn't even get to God, so to speak. Of course, we know that he hears everything that's said, but it's saying like it holds back. What's holding it back? It's these sins that we commit at times. Allahumma dhunuba tunzilu al-bala. Oh Allah, forgive for us those sins that send down your punishments, your tribulations, your tests. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down a test when someone commits a sin because they need to be they now need to be tested to make up for that mistake that they made right allahumma ghfir li adh-dhunuba allati taqta'u raja oh allah forgive those sins for me that cut off the hope now what is this hope some of these scholars say that this is hope of the day of the judgment looking forward to the day of judgment so some sins you just commit them and they're over Some sins, when you commit them, slowly they eat away at your belief system. And as the verses of the Quran say, that there are those who they have no raja, they have no hope when it comes to the day of judgment. In other words, they're not even like thinking about it. They don't even think it's going to happen, right? They're not anticipating the day of judgment happening, right? Oh Allah, forgive those sins of mine that eat away at my belief system. They eat away at this anticipation of the day of judgment, which is a scary thing because we know as human beings, the anticipation of the day of judgment, the accountability that we have is what really keeps us on track. Um, For most of us, at least, you know, 99% of people would fall under that category. So he's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive those types of sins. Allahumma ghfir li kulla dhanbin adhnabtu. Oh Allah, forgive every action of mine that comes with a consequence. Wa kulla khati'atin akhta'atuha. And every mistake that I have committed. Inshallah, in the next episode, we'll continue from Allahumma inni ataqarrabu ilayka bi dhikrik, inshallah.